The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's message is pre-recorded. We will not be taking phone calls today. Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining me today. We are going to go further in Reese Howell's intercessor today. We're going to wrap it up, I think. I'd like to also give you a heads up. We are going to begin tomorrow with a new book entitled Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. If you'd like to download it, and follow with us. You're welcome to do that. It's a Logos classic. Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. B-E-V-I-N-G-T-O-N. It's a book of, of stories. A remarkable man. A simple man. Who entered into a relationship with Jesus. That absolutely will challenge you. In this modern day. Much of his ministry was focused in Ohio. He preached and taught and walked by faith. It will call you to both laugh and cry. So I'll be sharing that with you. These two books, Reese Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb and Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. These are the two books that with Scripture literally formed the foundation of my walk with Jesus. Scripture, of course, being first, then Reese Howell's intercessor, and then this remarkable miracles, the stories just touched my heart. And I said, I have to walk like that. So my question to you today is a very simple one. Do you have with you the presence of Jesus. I know all of you have some intellectualism. You have some theology. You have been taught. If you've been listening to this broadcast, you've been taught. But are you consciously aware of the presence of Jesus walking with you? Are you consciously aware of the Christ of Scripture? Is he real to you? Does he walk with you? When you begin to turn toward darkness, does he quickly speak by his Holy Spirit and say, no, don't go there? Does he tell you, call this person or call that person? Does he order your steps? Do you walk with the conscious presence of Jesus? In your life. Oh, not so that you can see him with your eyes. But see him instead with the inner eyes of your spirit. Do you have a conscious sense of the reality of this wonderful Savior? Does he walk with you? Does he dwell in your life? Is there the rich presence of Jesus in your life? Have you given yourself totally over to him and turned aside from sin so that the fullness of Jesus can come in all of his glory? Some have referred to him as the shining one. As the shining one. The one who is Brilliant, the one from whom flows glory. If you read the book of Revelation, you quickly find this Jesus. He's at the very center of the whole story of Revelation. This Jesus who is riding on that steed, coming dressed in white dressed in white, 
pure and clean with a sword in his hand coming to the final battle of earth's history. I believe we're going to see that battle in our lifetime. I believe we're very close to the final events of Jesus Christ coming in all of his glory and establishing his full kingdom upon this earth. It's described in Daniel, the second chapter, where this great image stands, the head of gold being Babylon, the chest of silver being the Medo-Persian Empire, the waist, the loins of brass, being the Greek Empire, the legs of iron, being the Roman Empire, and then the, the feet mixed with clay and iron, some brittle, some strong. That's where we stand. And then the ten toes, the ten final kingdoms that will emerge and form a conglomerate, a caliphate. These final ten kingdoms will be the dominion of the Antichrist power as he comes in all of his glory to establish a one-world government upon the earth. We're watching as that is now emerging. We are watching Daniel, the second chapter, in reality being fulfilled. And then there was a stone cut out without a man's hand. And the stone is cast at that image and grinds it to pieces. The image falls. The kingdoms are destroyed. And in its place grows a great mountain of God. And the kingdom of God is finally established. That stone is almost ready to be cast. The ten kingdoms are now beginning to emerge. Germany. The ten kingdoms are beginning to emerge. And these ten kingdoms will give their power and their authority to the beast power of revelation, to the Antichrist, where you will not be able to buy or sell except you receive the mark in your forehead or your hand. It is a mark that is a chip designation. It is a computerized chip that will mark you and to take an airplane, to take a bus, to go to the grocery store, wherever you go, it will be a cashless society. Already it's right on the horizon. We're watching it now as it's beginning to shape and take form. Homeland Security, the TSA, all of these are instruments that are going to be used in this final end time as no one is allowed to buy or sell except they receive the mark. And if you don't receive the mark, you are an outcast of society left to starve to death, to be destroyed, to be found by the police and killed. And many will be killed. But our trust will be in Jesus. We're watching all of this even as I sit here with you today. The news is full of events things that are transpiring even as I sit here today as the unemployment rate in Europe is now pushing past 11%. It will continue up to at least 30%. We're going to see the same thing in the United States. The real unemployment figure for the United States is probably somewhere between 16 and 18%. In 1929, during the Great Depression, it went up to 30%. I suspect we will see it go over 30%. Some are saying the unemployment could easily go to 50% as this collapse comes. We're watching take place the arise of the one world government. And those who are driving it feel that it's worth the cost of human life. Out of chaos comes order. They are going to bring the fullness of the chaos upon us. And out of that, they're going to bring their one world order. It's already, it's already happening as we watch. 
So I'm going to continue to share today the destruction of the Nazi armies. I'm going to read a portion describing the events that took place in July 1941 between Rommel's men and Alexandria were the remnants of a British army 50 tanks a few score field guns and about 5,000 soldiers the sides were equally matched with the Germans holding the advantage because of their superior 88 millimeter guns Both armies were near exhaustion from heat, dust, and lack of water. The battle was grim. In the words of Major Rainer, the sun was almost overhead and our men were fast reaching the end of their endurance when the Nazis broke. Ten more minutes and they might have had us. Slowly, sullenly, the Mark IV tanks lumbered back from their battle smoke. And then an incredible thing happened. 1,100 men of the 90th Light Panzer Division, the elite, the elite, came stumbling across the barren sand with their hands in the air, cracked and black with blood, Their swollen tongues were protruding from their mouths. Crazily, they tore water bottles from the necks of our men and poured life-giving swallows between their parched lips. Major Rainer then goes on to give the reason for this surrender. The Germans had been 24 hours without water when they overran the British defense and found a six-inch water pipe They shot holes in it and drank deeply. Only when they had taken great gulps did they realize that it was seawater. The pipe had only just been laid, and Major Rainier had started to test it. Fresh water, however, was never used for tests on pipes. It was too precious. Two days later, it would have had fresh water. The Nazis didn't detect the salt at once because their sense of taste had already been anesthetized by the brackish water they had been used to and by thirst. The surrender of those 1,100 crack soldiers may have been the deciding innocent incident in the battle for Alexandria. The editor's comment is such an incredible happening as this cannot be treated as a mere coincidence. Assuredly, the hand of Almighty God is in evidence once more, coming to our aid when weighty issues are in the balance. The attention of the college then had to be turned again to the Russian campaign. If the Bible lands were to be safe, the danger from the south was now over. But as the Germans, having failed in their attempt on Moscow, pressed eastward through southern Russia and approached Stalingrad, they were coming near the Caucasus Mountains. Once across that range, the door would be open to the Bible lands from the north. The Nazis had already penetrated the defenses of Stalingrad and were fighting in the suburbs of the town, when the Holy Spirit was urging Reese Howells to pray that Stalingrad should not fall. The reason was Stalingrad is the gateway to the Caucasus and the Caucasus to the Bible lands. The enemy had made two attempts to occupy these lands. The first via Crete, which brought the prayer for the spirit that the Nazi horde should be turned against Russia and the second via North Africa, which had resulted in the divine intervention in answer to believing prayer. But this prayer for Stalingrad seemed the hardest of all to take hold of. For a whole fortnight we wrestled. The Spirit, through His servant, insisting that the prayer having come from Him, we were to be responsible to see it through to a successful issue, as with Moscow. Now please understand. Many today go by closed and open doors. 
They don't understand what God's will is, so they go by a, an open or a closed door. They go by circumstances, and they'll set up tests. If this happens by this date, then I'll know that God wants me to do that. I was tempted to do that with this radio broadcast. I was tempted to say, Lord, if you will give me the money for the month of November, on November 1st, I will go ahead with radio. But I couldn't test God that way. I had spent the time in the prayer closet hour after hour. I had faced what it would mean to go off the air and recognize a failure of faith. And I was prepared then to step up higher because that's what I've learned to do. When faith fails, step up higher. And so I was prepared to begin to pray for and had begun to pray for FM radio and for a national radio broadcast. But the Lord wasn't through here. And when he had half of the cost of radio for the next three months given, I said, Lord, what is this? Now, it is very much like the Lord to give only half and to cause me to continue to stand for the other half. That's a way of God. Seldom will he do it in one sweep in such a way that I no longer have to stand on the foundation. I didn't stand very well on this foundation of faith that he tried to give to me. Quite frankly, I did not want to carry the burden any further of the continual burden of finances. Along with the continual burden of the lost and the dying of the National Prayer Chapel, I frankly was simply tired. And I said, Lord, it would be it would be well to go off and just have some time to rest. And then he confronted me with some messages via email from some of you who are listening, saying, I don't believe in God anymore. You can't trust God. I couldn't let that stand. I couldn't let that stand. I had to step forward and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to go forward. It is impossible. The burden is back-breaking, but I will stand. And the Lord sent half of the money. Now I'm going to stand for him to send the other half. I know it has to be paid. I don't have any money toward the second half but I'm going to walk by faith. This is not name it and claim it. This is, this is not demanding that the circumstances change or I'll quit. It's Lord, what's your will here? He showed me his will and now I stand. I've laid my life down on what I believe to be the word of God. And I've also turned aside from anything that would cause the Lord to not hear my prayer. What is it in your life that God is asking you to get a hold of? What is it in your life that would indicate to you that the presence of God was with you? Now, I've walked this walk a long time, many years. And I have known pastors, men I considered as brothers, who have been faced with the same kind of situation of financial lack, a home being foreclosed on, or whatever it was. And they have said, if God does not answer by this date in this manner, I will no longer serve the Lord. I'm going to go do it myself. And as soon as you make that kind of proposition to the Lord God of heaven, he won't answer. And he lets you, he lets you go down that road. And he lets you walk away from him and say, okay, God, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. One man who, who said he was an atheist, I said to him, what is your spiritual background? He said, Salvation Army. I said, no, no. 
You cannot be an atheist and come from the Salvation Army. That's impossible. That's an oxymoron. Absolutely, utterly impossible. I know who the Salvation Army people are. They're precious in the sight of God. They are blessed by Almighty King. The presence of Jesus has walked with them. I know what the Booth's testimony was as they build up this work, as they walked by faith. You see, if we allow events in our lives to turn us from trusting in the Almighty God, then we're saying that we're God and God is our servant and he has to do and change what we want him to do and change or we're not going to serve him. That is utter rebellion against the Most High. And it always ends in devastation and destruction. I'm speaking today to some of you who have either walked away from the Lord or you're very tempted to walk away from the Lord because he has not done what you've asked him to do. I remember I was in that place where I simply lay on the floor and said, Lord, if you don't answer me, I will die but I will not turn back from you. That's what has to rise up in our hearts. We cannot relate to the living God of heaven based on our circumstances. Rather, we have to relate to the word of God based on its truth and stand and endure whatever we must endure as we stand not turning to the left or to the right, but standing. That's what Reese House was doing. Except he was doing it at a level that I have not yet gained. And I'm asking God to take me to that place and to take the National Prayer Chapel to that place. That is to a place of prayer and intercession where we can hear the will of God on a national level and on a world level where we can be used in this final fight against the Antichrist power for the sake of God's people to be preserved and saved. Moses was at that level. When the children of Israel sinned against the Most High God and the wrath of God was going to break out upon them and destroy them, Moses lay on his face before God, and he interceded until the Lord could not stand to hear the intercession anymore. And he said, Moses, it's done. I'll do as you've asked. It took 40 days for this righteous man to move the heart of God not to destroy the children of Israel. This may not be your picture of God, but he is a God of righteousness. He is a God of wrath and judgment, as well as being a God of great compassion and mercy, slow to anger, but he will get angry. Is God angry with you today? It's well to recognize if God is angry with one, that one could quickly repent and turn from that sin. I am most afraid for for those who sin against the Lord and then are not upset by it and say, well, I know God has forgiven me. Oh, has he? Based on what evidence do you have that God has forgiven you? Where in the word do you find that God will just forgive you your sin and it's done and, and everything's fine again? No, I don't read that in the word. Instead, I find deep, deep repentance and metamorphosis must take place a metamorphosis must take place in the life of that person they must be changed they must be transformed into a new creature and until they are the wrath of god rests upon them and when that wrath bucket is full their life will end and the judgment will face them so how do you stand today our phone number in studio is 877 877- Five three four zero seven 
1-800-273-8080. Some months later, with these four great prayer battles behind them, the invasions of Britain, Alexandria, Moscow, and Stalingrad, the college personnel were much interested to see an article published in the press by the military commentator Gerald Fuller, in which he gave four reasons for the impending doom of the Nazis. Hitler's four blunders, if you please. Blunder number one was missing the chance to invade Britain. Blunder two, his failure to attack Egypt and gain Alexandria. Blunder three, everything in the Russian campaign depended on the fall of Moscow, yet Hitler turned away to other objectives. Blunder number four, Hitler's final mistake, the great attack on Stalingrad. On two further occasions, there were times of special concentration in prayer, one in the invasion of Italy and the other for D-Day. In the battle for Italy, the danger spot was Salerno, where Allied troops landed in September 1943 to capture some strategic heights and opened the way for the invading forces from the south to reach Rome. The day of the landing and its sequel will always be outstanding in my memory, says Dr. Samoids. We had the first evening prayer meeting as usual in the conference hall and gathered about 9.45 p.m. It had a solemn tone from the outset, the director's voice trembling with the burden of his message and scarcely audible as he said, the Lord has burdened me between the meetings with the invasion of Salerno. I believe our men are in great difficulties and the Lord has told me that unless we can pray through, they are in danger of losing their hold. The awe of God settled down upon us, for this came as a complete surprise. There had been no official news to this effect on the wireless, and we ourselves had previously had some rejoicing that Italy was at least at the point of being delivered from the fascist and the Nazi tyranny. Before long, we were on our knees crying to God for his his power to intervene and the Spirit took hold of us and suddenly broke right through in the prayers, and we found ourselves praising and rejoicing, believing that God had heard and answered. We could not go on praying any longer, so we rose from our knees and began to sing praises, the Spirit witnessing in our hearts that God had wrought some miraculous intervention in Italy. The victory was so outstanding that I looked at the clock as we rose to sing. It was on the stroke of 11 p.m. We waited to hear the midnight news. The announcer gravely told us, in effect, exactly what the director had told us from the Lord, that unless some miracle happened, our troops were in grave danger of losing the beachhead before the morning. This only served to confirm to us the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and we felt more confident than ever that the victory was certain. The news the next morning was more hopeful, but we eagerly awaited newspaper reports from the front. We were not disappointed. On Thursday morning, one of the daily newspapers displayed a front-page headline in large print, The Miracle of Salerno. The account of the reporter personally at the front ran somewhat as follows. I was with an advanced troops in the invasion on Monday. The enemy artillery was advancing rapidly with ceaseless firing. The noise was terrible and it was obvious that unless a miracle happened, our troops could never hold up the advance long enough for the beachhead to be established. Suddenly, For no accountable reason, the firing ceased and the Nazi artillery stopped its advance. A deathly stillness settled on the scene. We waited in breathless anticipation, but nothing happened. I looked at my watch. It was 11 o'clock at night. Still we waited, but still nothing happened, and nothing happened all that night. 
but those hours made all the difference to the invasion. By the morning, the beachhead was established. Do you have the faith to believe that by your prayer and by your church's prayer, battles can be turned and Jesus can win? I tell you now, we are called to begin to enter into the final battle of earth's history. And we must have a clear vision of what that means. We must see who the players are. And we must have the heart and will of God as we cry out before him until we come through to victory in the prayer closet. Things in the physical realm are to be touched, broken, healed and changed by men and women who know how to pray. Not men and women who go by open doors and closed doors, but men who know how to go to the prayer closet and open doors and closed doors by the power of the Spirit of the living God. Do you have that power? Do you have the presence of Jesus walking in your life in such a manner that he tells you what's happening and he tells you how to pray. That's what we're called to. Now our studio line is 877-534-0780. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I want to give you the mailing address for the National Prayer Chapel. Some people have said, Pastor, why don't you just put PayPal up on your webpage? I said, no, I'll never ask God's people to go in debt to give to the work of the gospel. They said, well, people won't respond. I said, I don't believe that. I believe that the power of God is moving. Their hearts are alive. So I'm going to give you the mailing address. Several have called and asked me to do this. I'm going to give you the mailing address for the National Prayer Chapel. It's National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. That's Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, you're also welcome to go to nationalprayerchapel.com. We're streaming live there right now. Yesterday's video is up. You'll find YouTube videos available there of past broadcasts. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll also find their directions for coming to the National Prayer Chapel. One brother came and he had a hard time finding us. He went in the front door. Don't go in the front door. That's, that's the All Saints Anglican Church entrance. If you want to come to the National Prayer Chapel, come to the All Saints Anglican Church at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. Drive around to the back side, and there at ground level, you'll find what's called the lower lobby. There's a big sign out front that says lower lobby. Come right in those double glass doors. And there in the hallway, you'll see to your left a beautifully decorated room. It's, it's fit for the kingdom of God, and that's where we meet the All Saints Anglican Church and St. Margaret's Anglican Church have been very kind to us. I just had dinner last night with Bishop Benna, David Benna and his wife. As we talked about the work of the gospel and we talked about this radio broadcast, I invited him to come on the radio with me. And the second week of November, he'll come and join me on air and we'll talk about the gospel together. These are wonderful brothers and sisters at the All Saints Anglican Church and at St. Margaret's that also rent space from the All Saints Anglican Church. I invite you to come on Sunday at 1230 
and spend a couple hours with us hearing about Jesus and being called to walk in holiness before him. You won't find foolishness in entertainment. We don't do that. It's unvarnished. It's plain. It's simple. It's about Jesus. If you desire the presence of Jesus to walk with you, then come and be a part of the National Prayer Chapel with us. He is making us into a company of people who know how to pray, who have paid the price, who've walked clean before God, who see the signs of the times, and we stand by faith against the enemy that is so rapidly growing in our midst, against this one world government and the destruction of God's people in every land. We're going to stand by faith for revival. That the Holy Spirit will bring forth his promise in Matthew 24, that at the last day the gospel proclamation will burst forth in great power as it speaks about in the book of Joel with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at the very last moment of earth's history. We're right there at the edge. So if you'd like to come, I invite you to join together with us at 12.30 p.m. at the All Saints Anglican Church. And you'll find there a, a wonderful respite in the Lord. Encouragement in your walk with Jesus. Now I want to return to the book. In the last great prayer battle of the war, for the opening of the second front, we will quote again some of Mr. Howell's own words. On April 6, 1944, just two months before D-Day, we were saying in the meeting We are concerned for the young people who are about to enter the second front. Can we believe that our young men will go through with a minimum of loss? If God intervened in Moscow and Stalingrad and Alexandria and our own country, can't he intervene in the second front and stop us from having a great setback? We have a perfect right to ask God to come and fight with our young men because our leaders only want the Atlantic Charter and its four freedoms as the result of this war. If we got victory at Stalingrad, we can get it here. We know that he is on the side of our men, and I see nothing tonight but victory. A month later, on May 7, 1944, he said, I'm speaking at a time when five million men are facing the second front. These young men from America are in our country waiting for the invasion and many thousands may be lost. In Verdun, the French lost a million men. If I'm not called up to fight, I know another way to help them and I don't do it. And if I don't do it, I ought to be killed instead of them. They are facing death, and anyone who has faced death knows it is a serious matter, and they are facing it for you and me. If they suffer more than we suffer for them, it will be our lifelong shame. If there is a second front next week, is there a God in heaven who can intervene? When it starts, Governor Dewey of New York is calling all his state to pray. The worst of it is that Germany is a Protestant country, and so are we. But it is not the German nation we are fighting. It is the Nazi regime. We believe God is on our side, and he says, I will not sheath the sword until the charter is established and the world set free. Oh, I have to stop. Do you see the freedom of America is being stolen away? Once more, we have to come up to faith and pray for freedom that the work of God can go forth with power. In another meeting, God gave the assurance to the college that on D-Day, he was going to go over before our troops and they would not have a setback. The believing was so strong that we were able to take it, wrote one who was present. 
After the burden we'd been carrying, the relief was so great that I went to my room and fell on my knees and burst into tears. They were tears of joy and sheer relief from a tremendous tension. It was just as real to me then as if the whole second front had been established and the victory actually won. On June 6th, the day of the opening of the Second Front, Mr. Howells read with great approval General Eisenhower's order of the day to the assault troops in which he said, The hopes and prayers of liberty, of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Let us beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking, and still more, the wonderful speech of the King which he broadcast to the country, solemnly calling his people to prayer and dedication. Surely not one of us is too busy to play our part in nationwide, perchance worldwide vigil of prayer as the great crusade sets forth. In the meeting, Mr. Howell said, if there's going to be a day of prayer, it ought to be the day of victory and moving God. And in our own prayer at the end of that meeting, thinking of the assault troops already landing in Normandy, he prayed, if you hadn't intervened in Dunkirk, not one of us would be here today. So lay a burden on us. Don't allow us to, to slack. If Hitler has won Christianity, civilization, and freedom, they will be gone. Oh, Lord, protect and keep our men. Don't allow us to pray to pray any differently from what we would if we were on the front line ourselves. We do believe the end of this will be victory. Do you understand? Christianity, civilization, and freedom were on the line against the Nazis. Christianity, civilization, and freedom are on the line in America. In Europe, against this wicked one-world government agenda that is arising on every side, there is a breakdown by our president of the Constitution of the United States. They can now detain any person they choose, citizens of America. They can detain, they can put them in prison, and they have no right to recourse, no attorney, no right to go before a judge, no right to hear their accusers. They're simply taken away. Any person for any reason can be placed on a no-fly list. I could go down to the airport because of what I'm saying today to you and find that I'm no longer allowed to fly anywhere because the government has decided that I am not worthy of flying. You understand our freedoms are being stolen away even as you're listening to this broadcast. And I'm telling you today, Christianity, civilization, and freedom all stand on the brink of destruction with this wicked one-world government agenda that would destroy the Constitution of the United States, that would destroy the Magna Carta of England. We stand at the verge. Will you pray? The consummation of these six years of prayer came in June of 1945, with the establishment of the United Nations at San Francisco. No vain hopes of final world peace were based on that. However, for the prayer of the college for the gospel to go to every creature and for the Jews to return to Palestine has always been the great anticipation of the return of the Savior in glory and the setting up of his kingdom, when at last there will be true peace on earth. But the establishment of the United Nations was the answer to those years of prayer for the reopening of the world to the gospel and to every creature that might hear in this generation the gospel of Jesus. Now this period of intercession was now ended. And during the war years, God had called the college apart to intercede for the world as years before he'd shut in Reese Howells to intercede for one soul. Now that war was over. Links of fellowship were renewed. The college had always stood for fellowship 
With other faithful servants of Christ throughout the world, and through the years, students have gone out with various organizations and members of mission societies have been helped financially. Now that the college was freed from the burden of prayer for the war, the Lord began to lay upon them afresh the needs of the mission field. The special burden on Mr. Howe's own heart was finance for getting the gospel to every creature. Finance which could be expended freely in the support of God's servants in all lands. The burden never left until Sunday, January 15, 1950. In the nine o'clock meeting that night, he read the songs of Moses and David. And then he said, everything in me is praising God because the Holy Spirit can say, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Every creature will hear the gospel. The finance for the vision is safe. The king will come back. He has the assurance that God would give the promised 100,000 pounds, which he would then invest in his work and claim the hundredfold for fulfilling the every creature commission. I want to tell you today, I am standing by faith on the intercession of Reese Howells and this college. I'm standing by faith that the money has been given for national radio to proclaim this strong, unvarnished word of holiness to America. I'm standing by faith that that victory was given to Reese Howells and the money is now going to be made available, not just for this radio broadcast on AM, but on FM and on national radio. He won the victory. About two years prior to his home call, our beloved director had a longing to pay a visit to the scenes of his meeting with the Holy Spirit. A few of us were privileged to accompany him. His soul was obviously blessed and revived as we stood outside the little chapel. Then he took us to the site of the convention tent and told us more on the way the Holy Spirit had met him there in person and asked him for his body. As the director thought again of those experiences and of all the Holy Ghost had done in his, in his life through him, he was visibly strengthened in believing that the Holy Ghost would never fail in the future to overcome any obstacle and reach every creature with the gospel in that generation. Shortly after that, I noticed that as we climbed the hill, an awful grayness came upon him, and we had to halt for a while. He was in the throes of a great heart attack. From that day onward, only a few of us knew how much he had suffered. We tried to persuade him to take rest, but he was so consumed with his passion for the kingdom and dying souls of men that he never relaxed his grip on the prayer meeting and the other business for his king nor would he take any medicine to relieve his condition, preferring to leave all things as always to the Lord. February 8, at the close of the meeting, he seemed transported to glory. The whole company was standing and singing, Away over Jordan with my blessed Jesus. His face was described by some as reminding them of Stephen's, the face of an angel. Within half an hour, I was called to see him as he lay prostrate on his bed in the throes of another terrible heart attack. This time, he consented to have some medication, the first foreboding to me that he did not really expect to recover. As he lay in, ang in agony that I could only conjecture, for he never breathed one word to the very last with re reference to his own suffering, he said, It is the Lord, it is the Lord. I am in the center of the Lord's will. Everything is gained. It is the Lord. And during the following four days before he passed home, whenever he came to consciousness, it was to breathe out the name of some missionary or other intimate friend for whom he was obviously praying or to tell us of his believing of all the vision. His last words came in a moment of consciousness on Sunday, February 12th as he recognized me and breathed in a quiet whisper, victory, hallelujah. Several times during those days, he had said that same word to Mrs. Howells, glorious victory. The end of his earthly pilgrimage came at 10 a.m. on Monday, February 13, 1950. We knelt around his bed. We were deeply conscious of the marvelous presence of God. We breathed our prayer. 
thy will be done. And ask the Lord to make us worthy successors of such a noble servant of our Lord Jesus. Within an hour, Muel Howells had called the whole staff of the college and the school together. Naturally quiet and retiring, it was obvious to all that the Spirit of God had come upon him as he summoned all to a rededication of their lives to carry through the vision and commission his father had laid down. Following that day, it was plain to everyone that in the hiddenness of the previous 13 years during which he had been with his father and his mother in the college, God had been maturing and preparing his servant to take Mr. Howell's place. No son by natural inheritance could step into the place of such a father. All recognized with thankfulness that the same divine person who had come to live in their late director also indwelled his son. And thus college and school had the same guide, enabler and supplier. The Lord himself in the midst And that's the conclusion of Reese Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb. Do you see what we face today? Even as Reese Howell stood like a rock and prayed against the Nazis, we have to come up to faith now and lay down our little playthings, lay down our toys, lay down our little selfish preferences, our entertainments, We have to form an army, an army in the spirit that will stand and pray against this wicked new world order that is arising even now as I speak. America has been changed. It's not like it was when I was a child. Laws have been passed. Things have been said. Things have been done. Executive orders have been signed for the destruction of America's economy and for the destruction of America. God's judgment is about to fall on us. Do you see the do you see the battle that's before us? Will you stand with me? Will you pray with me? Will you even come and be a part of the National Prayer Chapel with me? Will you stand with me in this radio broadcast? Will you stand for Jesus as a warrior against this wicked new world government? Almighty God, I take a position as an intercessor for your people and I lay down my life for this radio broadcast and for the work of the gospel. I ask for men and women who will stand with me, who know how to use the sword of the Spirit and who will give themselves to the work of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll speak with you soon.